In March 2020, the federal government decided to cancel all non-essential gatherings of 500 plus people. And at the same time, the Prime Minister said he was going to go to the football that night. It was wishful thinking. And this is not a criticism of the Prime Minister. All he did was say in public what we were all saying in private. I wish this wasn't happening. It was wishful thinking. The latest IPCC report tells us that for every year in the last 33 years, the glaciers of the world have been retreating. And some people are saying, well, it's seasonal. And I agree with them. That's what I would like it to be. But it's wishful thinking. There's lots of people who are members of this congregation, and I among them, would love to see this church full of people every Sunday. But every year of the 20th century, the churches like this all over the country have been in decline. This is not the moment we're in. Doesn't matter how much we wish it were true. A convivial dinner party with friends in a village outside of Jerusalem. In a moment of absolute chaos, but kept outside the door. Everything is going to be fine here. We can just do it as we always have done it. We care for the poor as we've always done it. We sell the stuff and we give it the money to the poor. That's how we've always done it. It's wishful thinking. That's not the moment we're in. We are often so desperate for things to go back to the way they were, to, for them to be normal. I don't know if you've ever been involved in a car accident, even a small one. I've had two. One was my fault. Um, and in both cases, my first thought was, could we just go back two minutes? If I'd have turned left instead of right, if that person had... Desperate for things to go back before the chaos hits. If you've ever had a major illness, you start thinking, why would it just go back a bit? But that's not the moment we're in. Judas exemplifies this in this story. He wants things to be the way they've always been. Partly because, as the text tells us, he doesn't mind um, pilfering a little bit. And if things aren't normal, he can't do it. But I think he's gripped by the fear that things are out of his control. And it is. Just before this reading, we didn't hear this bit, but just before this reading, we hear that the authorities are gathering together to plot in how they were going to arrest Jesus and make sure he was killed. No wonder it's chaos. And it doesn't matter how nice the dinner party is, how lovely it all is together, friends, you can't keep the chaos out. So Judas takes to social media. Why wasn't this done? Why wasn't that done? Who's responsible for this? I don't know what these people who do this on social media were doing before and probably yelling at each other in the pub. Um, so perhaps we don't want to go to those kinds of pubs. But it's a kind of vague, diffuse anger. He didn't say, why don't you sell it? Or why, why wasn't it done? Well, something must be done. It's all something. Someone must do something. It isn't the way it's supposed to be. It's all chaos. Well, 
We've got two characters in the story. Mary's the other one. I think we see someone here who faces reality and truth. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. This isn't the way the government said it would be. This isn't the way your mum promised you it could be if you did the certain thing. This is just the way it really, really is. This is truth. This is the moment we are in. Things in this story are about to get completely out of control. If you happen to be a reader of the news, you might think we're not in a a much different situation to the people in this dinner party. Mary, by what she does, she doesn't say anything, which is interesting. I mean, most women in the Bible don't say anything. Most women in the Bible don't even have a name. But that's another story for another time. We've got a lot of problems and the church uh, are great still among them. But anyway, we'll get there. She doesn't say anything, but what she does is do something. She involves her body. She's very, very sensual. And most of us good white Anglo-Saxon Protestants, we're not so keen on people touching each other and uh, any of that kind of stuff. Lord knows we don't want to talk about sex, except, of course, that you shouldn't. Whatever it is you're thinking of doing, you should stop it. We're very keen on that. But otherwise, it's all a bit... And this is incredibly sensual. This is incredibly... Bodily, this woman is absolutely present. We don't know what to do in these situations, do we? I have known people who will tell me when I ask them, have you been, had a conversation with or been in touch with so-and-so whose significant person has died? And over and over again I hear people say, no, I, I don't know what to say. Of course you don't know what to say. Somebody died. Nobody knows what to say. Nobody cares that you don't know what to say. You just be there. And Mary is there. She's right in the middle of something. We never know what to say. We never know sometimes even what to do. Sometimes we're just present is enough. To be fully present in the moment, in all its fear and uncertainty, whether that's the global chaos that we can look at on the internet at any moment right now or our personal lives. Many of us here, we know we've scrubbed up pretty well this morning, but the chaos that's going on inside our heads and inside our lives, we hide from each other and that's okay as long as we've got someone we don't hide it from. Because that's in the end existing, not living. Judas is existing. He knows exactly what's supposed to happen, but he can't face the reality of his situation. But there's more to it than this, because the story begins with this extraordinary statement that Lazarus, who was there for dinner, was the one who Jesus raised from the dead a couple of days before. Now, You know, if you turn up at a dinner party with a couple of decent stories to tell and Lazarus is there, forget it. (laughs) Yeah, nice story, but let's let's talk to Lazarus. What the hell is going on here? What does this even mean? What, What is this story trying to tell us? Why do we need to know this about Lazarus? Why is it at the beginning of the story? Well, obviously, because one of the things Mary is doing in anointing Jesus with this perfume is telling the truth about Jesus 
death. And maybe the story is hinting that the Christian story has always been, even though it doesn't look like it most of the time, and even though we don't feel it much of the time, that death is not the end of the story. That life always comes out of death. Many people in the United Church are in pain because of how small our church is and how ineffectual we are compared to some story that they have in their heads of the 1950s. But if we're courageous, of course, we believe that life comes out of death. We can only get life out of death if you get death. No one wants that. No one knows what it looks like. No one knows how to stay in charge of it because we can't. No one be in control of it. But that is the reality of it. But Jesus kept on saying, the world of God, in other words, the reality, of the true reality of the universe, another way of saying what Jesus called the kingdom of God, the true reality of existence, where is it? It's not out there. It's here. It's in you. It's among you. That's why I think he has a go at Judas and says, the poor, you will always have them with you. Now, we, we need to know something here before this doesn't make any sense at all. He's quoting a text from the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament. And that text is a whole series of stuff about the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee was the idea that every 50 years, all debts would be forgiven. Your housing loan, tear it up. All the money you owe on your credit card, tear it up. Everything's forgiven, everybody starts again. If you're in debt, like most of us, that sounds like good news. If you're owed the money, like the rich and the powerful, that's not so good. And so the Jews never, as far as historians can, are concerned, probably never actually got around to enacting the year of Jubilee, which was the call on them. But it was the idea in that that the poor, there will always be people in need, so we will always be together. They will be with you. Not out there, the poor. Let's go and help the poor. There's no the poor. There's people. Some of them are us. Even if we do look like we've scrubbed up pretty well, God knows how many of us here are just a pay packet away from real problems or a Centrelink payment away. But this is the story of the poor. You will always have the poor with you. You will always be present. If you are really alive to the reality of the world, you will know that the world is filled up with poor people. Some of them financially poor. The rest of them like some of us here who are fortunate enough to be able to pay our rent, we, we're just as poor. We know it. The poverty we carry around within us, we will always be this together. But you won't always have me, Jesus said. And I reckon he's wrong because the Bible tells us all the way through that God is with us always. And Jesus says, when, even when I go, and he says this earlier in, uh, uh, sorry, later in this same uh, Gospel of John, he says, when I go, uh, I will come to you in a different form. Um, and, and the uh, whole of the Gospel of John is trying to figure out what it means to have Jesus as a human being and God present to people at the same time in a, some sort of spiritual way. And it's an ongoing conversation that we've been having ever since. So Jesus is wrong in one sense when he says, you won't always have me. But I think what he's saying there is that you, talking to you, Judas, and you, the followers, you're going to forget. You're going to forget my presence. You're going to be so enveloped by the chaos 
that you will forget that the essence and meaning and truth of the universe is deep within you. It's in your DNA. But you will forget that. And chaos will overwhelm you. And so it is. That's what happens in the story that we will have at Easter time. The crucifixion story. The chaos story. When everybody, all the good ones, get lost. All the faithful ones abandon. All the people who like us really know what we want to do to live well and don't do it. But you will always have the poor with you. You will always have the community. It will always be us all together, whether we like it or not. It will always be us all together. Eventually, somebody in Ukraine and somebody in Russia is going to have to sit down and talk. We don't know when that will be. We don't know how long it will take to get there. And we don't know how many people will suffer between now and then. But that is how these things end. People have to talk. We have to see each other face to face. You will always have the poor with you. And if you're not careful, you won't always have me because you'll forget. But forgetting's okay. As long as we remember. As long as we remind each other that we are together in this. As long as we remind each other that we really are one human community. And that it's made up of a lot of unusually strange people. Which is why you're all welcome. <laughs> why you've let me stand up here for ten years going on and on and on about this stuff. Because it's just for everyone. We're all welcome. Finish with the Irish proverb. We all live in the shelter of each other. We all live in the shelter of each other.